Hello and welcome back to the True Crime Guys podcast. I'm Lauren. And I'm Michael. Oh, how's everybody doing? Hope you're doing good out there. We have a great true crime case for you this week that I'm sure you've never heard of, unless you've read this fantastic book that we used to study this case, because that's really all there is out there. We'll talk more about that in yeah. a bit. But I don't know if we've ever really done a case quite like this, where it was supposed to be kind of a, a simple, um, maybe even a non-violent crime here, you know, a car theft uh, mm-hmm. for some money that turned into a quadruple homicide because the perpetrator just continued to try and cover up his tracks and get rid of witnesses. It, it reminded me of an episode of Black Mirror, I believe it was called Crocodile, where yes. uh, a woman killed a person um, and then just someone kept had having a, to cover her tracks over and over again. Yeah, in a freaky way. Yeah. Yeah, in a freaky way, someone had seen the murder. You know, I won't give away the whole episode, but she ended right. up having to kill that person and then to kill another person, and it just kind of <laughs> spiraled out of control. Right. Where does this end? That's this case in a nutshell. <laughs> and we're going to 1980s Arkansas for this one. So, um, this book that we got, which we'll talk about, really immersed you into that time and, and brings you back. And uh, let's get into it. Let's do it, man. Daddy Tom Simmons All bad from the beginning Stayed in trouble with the law The shit stain of Arkansas Daddy Tom Simmons Always in and out of prison Shovel gravel for a living no qualms about killing Anybody he had to get away Cold-blooded in the natural Daddy Tom Simmons Didn't care men or women He'd set them up to take a fall In backwoods, Arkansas Daddy Tom Simmons You'll never catch him grinning Does his fair share of sinning Staying hidden while he's killing Anybody he had to get away All right, our case this week uh, A man you probably never heard of because his name got engulfed by history <laughs> It was too um, plain, man It was just too basic yeah. of a name It just got lost in there too many, too many Simmons out there I suppose, man The odds of there being two Simmons uh, who were mass murderers in Arkansas in the 1980s. I feel like that's still pretty amazing, really. Yes, and the the other Simmons being Ronald Gene Simmons, who we've covered. Of course. It's easy to whose see. Whose name is much larger than this one. This well, guy's. it's easy to a, see a lot why. Of people. What a, God, yeah. what a catastrophe. I mean, this man murdered his whole family on Christmas. Like, Yeah, drowned children in Jesus. barrels. and I mean, just that. Yeah, that we were frequently asked. I think we've been asked many times now what, what case kind of 
still like stays with us and like still affects us. And yes. uh, my answer is always Ronald Gene Simmons. Yeah, like he's probably the person I hate most, even more than like Chris Watts. Like uh, just the, what he did to his own family and everything. It's um, all in a row there, man. Just right in right in plain day. It's yeah, insane. on Christmas too, which on just made Christmas. it so much worse. Yes, right. he he acted like it was you know getting everybody back together. It's cold blooded, man. Yeah. Cold blooded in a different in a different sense. Makes this guy look like he's just this. This was more a methodical killer. He had reasonings for what he had to do, like we alluded to it in the uh, intro. He's not yeah. just he's not quite as cold blooded as Ronald Gene, I think. And there's also but a between, YouTuber that keeps. I was going to say, but between Ronald Gene Simmons, yeah, who we've covered and who has a large name in the true crime world. And a famous YouTuber named Tom Simmons, we're kind of screwed here trying to find information <laughs> yeah. on this case if it weren't for the book that we got. So right. yeah, apparently you you made me aware of this YouTuber that the kids all love named Tom Simmons. Apparently, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he's a he's a kid from the UK. Uh, he looks like he's been making videos a while. Some of his videos got like up to fifty thousand views. I uh, never heard of him, but that's all fifty thousand. No, fifty million. I'm sorry, fifty I was say million. K is pretty weak. <laughs> no, no, fifty million views. I'm sorry. Yeah, he's pretty popular. Search Tom Simmons on YouTube. See what you see. It's pages of this kid's YouTube content. So, yeah, pretty amazing. Well, I guess, I guess that's that's better than the Tom Simmons we're covering. I'd rather I'd rather him do well. Yeah, that's true. That's true. As far as we know, he hasn't killed anyone. Right. So the book that we keep alluding to that we cover we use to cover this case because there was nothing else on the internet basically <laughs> very few like small little tiny articles and like newspaper clippings about this case from 1981 in Arkansas believe it or not right um, but the book just really like brought this case to life uh, the book is called Cold Blooded A Chilling Tale of Terror Rape and Murder in the Arkansas River Bottoms by Anita Paddock fantastic book highly recommended if you love true crime books um, and it's all we needed really for this case that's our our main and almost only study case, uh, study source for this case. Yeah, thank God for this source. Yeah, this would have been this would have been another case pushed aside. You know, with not enough info, which is sad because right. this case is absolutely insane. Yeah. So let's get into it. Um, in January of 1981, 21 uh, year old Juana Price was her la- in her last semester of nursing school, um, and she was working um, a job in summer and a job uh, throughout winter while she went through nursing school. We'll talk more about that. She had a husband who she had married in uh, August of 1978. So they were a young couple, a right. very well-liked couple. Her husband's name was Larry. He was a machinist for a large manufacturing company. Um, and they, they lived in an apartment together. Um, she was, as I said, in her last semester of nursing school. They had a bright future ahead of them. Right. Um, and they were very happily married. Um, there was also a man that, uh, the man that ran their apartment complex, he was part owner of the apartment complex in which they lived in, a man named Holly Gentry, of whom they were good friends with, uh, Larry and Joanna. Joanna actually worked for Holly during summer. Um, she was like his secretary during summer. Oh, okay. Um, that worked out. Probably took yeah. some off the rent. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And so Holly, who was part owner of the apartment complex in which they lived, uh, was Joanna's part-time employer. He, uh, uh, around January of 1981, Holly asked uh, the prices, Larry and Joanna, to sell a car for him. That's how good of friends they were. Like they trusted each other to right. that extent that Holly was a busy man, very busy man. And, you know, he thought maybe they could make a little bit of money uh, helping to sell his car for him, which was a maroon silver Ford LTD. LTD. It was actually a really kind of high-end car at the time. It was a luxury car. Right, it's like a luxury sedan, almost like, you know, reminiscent of an old town car. Yeah, Yeah, and at the time, it was worth almost $5,000, which is pretty good money for 1981. Hell yeah. 
It's a good set. Um, and so, yeah, so they they uh, definitely agreed. Larry uh, put in an ad in the, the, the classifieds in the newspaper. This is pre-Craigslist times. So he put of an course. ad in the, the classifieds uh, for the LTD, which wasn't getting a lot of action initially, and which isn't surprising because it's just, it's, it's the type of car. It's not one you typically see in the classified. It's just such a high-end, expensive car that... Right, and again, 1981. I mean, not a lot yeah. of people are dropping 5000 on, on a car. On a used car, yeah. Right, from yeah, a, a used car at that, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, so, so the prices, as I mentioned, advertised the car in the classifieds, and on Saturday afternoon um, in early January, a witness who lived next to the prices in the same apartment complex uh, witnessed a man drive up in a small yellow Toyota car and knock on their door. He was attempting to, you know, drive the car and test the car out. He was interested in the LTD. Right. Um, but the man was scraggly and disheveled, according to the the neighbor that lived in the apartments complex. And the prices were out of town that weekend. Um, so he told the he told the man that the prices were away for the weekend and suggested that he come back during the week. Um, and on early Monday morning, January 5th, 1981, the man would indeed come back. So he wouldn't wait long. Like that weekend went oh, by yeah, he and he was there around. early Monday morning. He was very interested in this car, apparently. He's really ready to get out of that little Toyota, you know? Yeah, that little apparently thing. he's ready to upgrade. Yeah, it's just not, it's not making it anymore. <laughs> yeah, and you can't always uh, judge a book by its cover. A lot of, a lot of um, the, the least well-dressed people or the least kempt people you see, a lot of times those are very wealthy people. Right, yeah. <laughs> you know, you very good. You gotta be careful. Money. Sometimes you judge you judge a person off their appearance, and yeah, yeah, like a lot of really rich people don't want it known that they're rich. Shockingly, uh, yeah, all right. <laughs> I think the smart <laughs> rich people don't want you to know that they're rich. Right. Yeah, that's a that's a good play. Yeah. So another neighbor testified later that he saw the man looking at the LTD with Larry Price. So Larry, uh, would, they would get a knock on their door that that Monday morning, and it would be a man interested in looking at the car. Larry was very friendly and, you know, wanted to see the best in everyone. He would take this this uh, stranger for a test drive in the LTD. Afterwards, Larry brought the man inside the apartment. He shared with his wife, Joanna, and sat the man down. On the, uh, they both had a cup of coffee, and they were discussing, you know, you know, prices on the car and whatnot right. um, while Joanna got ready for work. Dude, she came uh, – go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, this is one of the scariest scenes in, uh, that I yeah. imagine in this, whole, in this whole case, in this story, because – who hasn't done this? Who hasn't had someone come to your house and yeah. buy something? And you're like, oh, yeah, let's just go in and fill out the title or whatever that you're selling them. I mean, I remember my dad doing that all through the 90s, 2000s, having oh, yeah. people just come over and buy and selling cars, all just strangers oh, yeah. sitting at our table. It's just like, we don't know. Yep. All yep. the time. It's like, this could have been yep. anybody. Yeah. At that 100%. Just, and like this, it's scarier, though, because it's 1981, and when you consider the circumstances here where – there was a newspaper ad, and I'm guessing the prices just put the address, like the, their address in the newspaper ad. Apparently. Well, they probably Yeah, it said, just seems like this dude just shows up. Like, he doesn't call him. Like, there's no... Like, he just shows up and knocks on your door like, can I look at the car? Like, no one knows who the fuck he is. No one has any clue that he's coming to look at this car. Right. They don't know who he is, other than, like, he says whatever his name he says is, you know? Yeah. Well, I'm sure the prices didn't give their exact address, but they probably said like cars parked out front of such and such apartment complex, right? Because they yeah, I suppose you know because it was the apartment complex's owner's vehicle, so he probably just parked it out you know close to the road or whatnot, and right. was you know you come see it. But the prices you know end up inviting this man into their home. That's how he finds out what apartments theirs, I believe. You know yeah, which was 
very trusting. But again, 1981, I feel like this was normal practice. Like there's people still yeah. doing this now. <laughs> this part of the book, the way it's written is so it's written so well that where you can get this eerie feeling about this this man, like the book describes as kind of a disheveled, you know, mm-hmm. man that came out of nowhere and he's very not he's really not a nice person either. Like Joanna, she's getting ready for work while Larry and the man are sitting down on the couch uh, drinking some coffee and Joanna comes out and she's she's in a good mood and she says, "Hi, you know, good morning" uh, to the man and he just kind of, "Hey," just looks up at her and he she just got a weird vibe from him. Oh yeah, according to the book. Yeah. Yeah, usually when and you're so, in someone's house, you try to give off the best version of yourself and someone who's just right, that reserved. And if you're when you're trying to buy something and uh, you, there's some haggling involved, you want to you don't want to come across as a douchebag right. either. You, <laughs> right. you think you're not going to get the best price that way. <laughs> you want to be somewhat likable, right? right. You want to have some some charm to you or yeah, this deal ain't going to go your way. But apparently he didn't give a yeah. shit. Yeah. So Joanna, who uh, at the time it was dirt, it was winter as we mentioned January. So she was working her other job, not working for Holly at the time. She was working at the Phoenix Phoenix Village Mall while she finished out nursing school. Um, and so she was she was off to work, and Larry would actually get up and walk her out to her vehicle, leaving the man in their apartment complex or in their apartment alone while he walked her out. Uh, and she the book said that she was even kind of like, are you sure we should just leave this guy in our apartment like that? And Larry was very trusting. Wow. Um, however, he shouldn't be. No, he shouldn't be. The, Young and naive. The man that he left in the apartment was 37-year-old Thomas Simmons, who was known by his family as Daddy Tom. He was a man with an extensive criminal history. He was there to steal the car, and he had a, a buyer already uh, worked out. There was a man named John Dickerson who was going to be buying the stolen car, and they had already agreed on a price. Okay. Uh, apparently, they had seen the advertisement in the classifieds and discussed, you know, the the possibility of uh, this this, uh, this Thomas going and stealing too. the car, and then Dickerson would give him a set amount. Um, okay. Okay. Man, it, why so would he just buy the car? I mean, well, maybe he's giving Tom like three grand or something, you know, to steal it. Oh yeah, if he buys the car, then they're they're yeah. just, they're not going to make any money really, as opposed to just stealing it. Oh, I thought John Dickerson did want the car. Dickerson wants the car, yeah, yeah. but he he's got agreed to buy it, and if Thomas buys it, basically he wants it at a discount. He no, doesn't want to no, pay right. Five That's grand what for I'm it. saying. I wonder what he's given yeah. Thomas is, is what I'm saying. Like he's, right. he must probably be like twenty five hundred, three grand, something. Like I, that. The book mentioned it. I, I didn't. I forgot to write it down, but it okay. was it was not nearly as much as what they were what uh, what they Holly were Gentry was asking for the car. Obviously, right. right. So John Dickerson is a pretty resourceful man himself, huh? He sees a car, and instead of going and bartering with the owner, he's just like, I'll just pay someone to steal it for hires, me. Hires a career criminal to go steal it and then yeah. sell it to him at a discount. Right, there you go. <laughs> yep. So as Larry walked Joanna down to her vehicle so she could leave for work, oh, Thomas quickly headed into their bedroom in the apartment where he found a checkbook. He ripped the top check off of the checkbook and returned it to the dresser. Um, and by the time that Larry got back to the apartment, he was Thomas was already sitting back on the couch again. Simmons then uh, got Larry to agree to go on another test drive. Apparently, the book made made it seem as though he wanted to um, go show the car to his wife before he made the commitment to purchase it. Uh, but that's that's I think hearsay because uh, we don't we we never really get the truth out of. Uh, Thomas Simmons, right. uh, in regards to how this went down, and Larry does not live to talk about it. But exactly. one way or another, Thomas Simmons uh, got Larry to agree to another test drive. He then took him out to a desolate, desolate uh, location where he shot him in the back of the head. So this, Brutal. 
This was supposed to be a car theft, but I don't understand. What I don't understand is if he didn't plan on killing him from the jump, why didn't he, when they went on the first test drive, why didn't he just ditch Larry in the middle of nowhere? He had a gun. He could have just kicked him out of the car and taken the car. I don't know why they go on the test drive and come back to the apartment. Because he had seen his face, right? I suppose. But, I mean, what was your plan from the get-go then? Like, he must have always planned to kill Larry. Uh, That's what I'm thinking. Or whoever the owner of the car was or whoever was selling the car. Yeah, I think he's like, well, if they don't let me take a test drive by myself, then I'm just going to kill him. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I mean, but who does that? I mean, anytime I think the, you sell- the way the book put it, I believe, was that he didn't want more than one witness because maybe he was okay with Larry seeing his face and stealing the car. But when Joanna came out, that was two witnesses that had now seen him. Right. But okay, I see what you're saying. But ultimately, yeah. I don't think they care that much about the car. Like Holly Gentry was was well off; he would have forgiven them for you know getting the car stolen or whatever. I don't think he was going to make them pay for the car. Well, of course not, but they seem like good people who wanted to, you know, do right by him. Yeah. And so they were going to do the best they could to make sure that, you know, this car was protected. And they and I'm sure they got a cut of this too. You know. Oh yeah, for sure. They're getting a cut, so they want to make sure that they do everything to sell and protect this car to keep the value where it is. Yeah. So, so he uh as we mentioned, took out Larry to the middle of nowhere and shot him in the back of the head tragically. And then at some point during the morning afterwards, uh, Thomas Simmons took to his branch, uh, his bank branch in Van Buren, uh, a $350 check drawn in a Clarksville account that had been closed by the prices some months earlier. Simmons received $50 in cash and deposited the rest. The price signature on the back was a forgery. Meanwhile, Larry was supposed to pick up Joanna for lunch from from her work. She she had her lunch break and he was going to come pick her up and they were going to go to lunch together. Um, and she was standing out on the curb waiting for him, and he never shows, and, which is very much out of character for Larry. He was always on time. He would right. never do such a thing to his wife, who he loved dearly, and she was freaked out. I mean, I'm sure leaving the house, leaving the apartment, leaving the stranger who was kind of sketchy, her apartment was already kind of had her freaked out, and now he doesn't show up to pick her up for lunch. She became very concerned, was already almost on the verge of tears, just feeling that something was wrong right away. She went yeah. back into work and called her neighbor Carol and asked her to see if Larry was home and if the car they were trying to sell was still there. She went and checked and reported that Larry's, Larry's car was still in his spot, but the car that they were trying to sell, the Ford LT, LTD, was gone, and that uh, Larry was not there either. She had knocked on the door, and all she saw was the cat peek out of the blinds. Um, oh, so they know yeah. this, is, this is very strange. Yes. This is not right. Joanna would then call Larry's parents and, and his work as well. Um, his work oddly said that a man had called earlier and said that Larry wouldn't make it to work today. That is some that random man freaked me calls. out. Yeah, <laughs> that part even freaked me out. I'm like, damn, dude, like this, this Thomas Simmons, he's such that he's that level criminal that he even thinks to call the dude that he kills work the day that he killed him to let him know that he won't just so that to buy himself some more time, apparently. But I feel so like that, that the work doesn't but going to you know calling police and stuff and reporting him missing or calling the wife and starting right. a big uh, hubbub. Yeah, I guess right at right at the start it, it is a time say it is a you know it does buy you some time. But in the long yeah. run I feel like it's just one more piece of evidence to put against him with this man's voice calling in the next day for sure. suspicious person. You know what I'm saying? And your voice is something that can be heard and recognized again and again and then that call may have been recorded from his work. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Like it wasn't a I smart move it. in the Would long it be run. in 1981? I highly doubt it was. 
True, true, true. But see, here's the thing: if if his plan goes uh, to if it goes to according to plan, the way he's going to do things is he's planning to go back to the apartment and kill Joanna. Right. Um, and so if he can get to the to the work by himself some time as far as work not reporting him missing and his wife, if he can get to her before she reports, it, you know, mm, maybe he doesn't. Saying. He 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 obviously doesn't know about their lunch meeting that they were going to have, which that that kind of threw a, a monkey wrench into his plan his his whole idea here. Right, right. That that sends Joanna into a panic way earlier than he expected. He expected her to go home from work and discover that Larry wasn't there and then freak out. But by then, he was already going to be in the apartment and kill her. So then she would never get to report Larry missing, and it would basically go off of however long it took for someone to notice that the, the couple were missing overall. Which That's right. He'd be long gone by then, and yeah. there would be no witnesses. Yeah, he also probably wow. doesn't know that they're selling the car for someone else, you know? So that's that's another kind of issue that he has here is that the guy that Holly Gentry is another issue because he's he's heard that his car is being sold. He's going to become looking for them to see what's going on with it. Right, right. Yeah, his name's on the title, so yep. he's got to be involved in this. Yep. Uh huh. Yeah. So, Joanna, she as we mentioned, she calls Larry's parents. They're they're on their way um, to Arkansas now to to kind of see what's going on and. They also she also called to work and got freaked out by the fact that someone had called and said that he wouldn't be in for work. Um, and now she calls Holly Gentry, the owner of the the car that they were attempting to sell, and he heads to the Price's apartment to check things out. Everything the neighbor had said was was spot on. The door was locked. Larry wasn't there, and Larry's car was there, but the Ford LTE LTD was gone. Holly was sure that something serious had happened at this point and decided to report Larry missing to the police. So. Holly and Joanna go to the police station, and there's two detectives there, 34-year-old Detective Ray Tate and mm-hmm. uh, Detective Poncho Davis, uh, who was his partner. Um, it was between 5.30 and 6 p.m. when they finished their report with uh, Ray, Joanna, and Holly, and they headed back to the apartment to check it out. So Joanna and Holly ride together, and Detective Ray Tate took his cruiser, uh, well, actually, he took his personal vehicle to the apartment complex, and he would get there shortly after they arrived. So he sees Holly's Holly Gentry's pickup truck parked out front of, uh, of their apartment, right? And he sits in his truck and gets his stuff together, his flashlight, his his notebook, and uh, makes his way up to their apartment. But by the time he gets to the apartment door, it's uh, the the lights in the apartment were off, and the door they, they weren't answering the door. He's knocking on the door, no one's answering, which he found very odd because obviously he was you know, just he knew following they were there. them here. <laughs> they were expecting him. Yeah, yeah. So he opens the door and fl- reaches for the light switch, and when he turns it on, there's a gun in his face. Mm. Got the jump uh, on him. Yeah, Thomas Simmons had returned to the apartment to wait for Joanna to get rid of the other witness, um, and he had no idea that she would be you know, accompanied by a detective and another man who was the owner of the car that he was stealing. Yeah, Thomas Simmons is freaking out. How many fucking people are going to show Seriously. up? Seriously, yep. Yeah, this thing is spiraled out of control. Uh, no doubt, no doubt. <laughs> yeah. So James Davis, a neighbor across the street, saw a man, evidently Officer Tate, arrive at the Price's apartment complex in a blue car. The man looked briefly at the truck and then went into the apartment. Shortly after that, a man made three trips from an apartment to the blue car. The first time he brought out a man whose hands were tied behind his back and had him in the, get into the blue car. Next, he brought out another man, also tied and was put into the car. Third, he brought out an, a woman who was crying and drove off with all three. Can you imagine seeing this scene? Like, what the fuck? Just from your window? <laughs> yeah. You just watch this whole thing go down. Like, I, I don't know what you could do other than call the police, but 
Man. Yeah. Pol- call the police. Write down everything that you see, right. including a tag, obviously. And, you know, that, that's all I could think. It's just write down everything you see at that moment. That way, yeah. you know, you don't have to worry and about this, nerves interfecting with your memories. This neighbor later finding out what happened to those three people must have felt terrible knowing, you know, you could have maybe stepped in and done something. I don't know. Yeah. Well, nowadays we would just film it, right? Yeah. You were watching their death march, basically. Mm. <clears throat> Meanwhile, Poncho Davis, the other detective whom they had, had taken the report, um, had finished. He had a meeting at 6 p.m. That's why he didn't go to the apartment to take a report with Detective Tate. Um, and so they were supposed to meet back up in uh, Detective Ray Tate's office at 7 p.m. And he gets back to the office after his meeting at 7 and is surprised to see that Officer Tate is not there. Um, he was very studious about his time. He, he, Much like Larry Price, he was not a kind of guy to stand you up. Right. And so he decided to take a drive over to the Price's apartment uh, to see if they were still there, you know, doing their report. But he didn't see uh, Detective Tate's car out front. It was Detective Tate, Tate's car that uh, Thomas Simmons had loaded them all into to take them off. Um, he figured okay. that they must have just missed each other and that Detective Tate must have passed him on the way back to the office. So and that's what he was hoping. Office. That's smart yeah, to take the exactly. cop's car because the, if any other cop reinforcements show up, they're not going to identify these other cars. They're not going to know who they right. belong to, what mm-hmm. they're doing there. Yeah, yeah, he he was pretty good at thinking on his feet, but not good enough. Yeah, for sure. Especially <laughs> in, a, in a situation that he didn't anticipate this thing turning into what it turned into. Yeah, for real. So uh, Poncho Davis went back to the office, and he receives a call from Larry's father, who had called the police station and talked to Poncho. He said that no one was at the apartment and something was wrong. Um, Poncho headed back to the apartments. Inside the apartment, he found his partner's flashlight uh, on sitting on the coffee table, and the telephone in the bedroom's wires had been pulled out. This must have immediately sent shivers up his spine. Like, what the fuck happened here? This exactly. Isn't right. Um, oh yeah. He's he, already putting the pieces together. Yeah. So at this point, Poncho Davis calls the police station and put out an APB, an all points bulletin for the kidnapped trio. Um, and detective, he told uh, the the person working at the police station. He didn't. So he didn't want to call over the radio because he figured that they had used the the perpetrator had used Detective Tate's car. And, you know, he didn't want whoever was in there Ah. to hear him making this call over there. So he calls uh, the police station instead. And when uh, all the local law enforcement found out that one of their own had been kidnapped, potentially with a a few uh, civilians as well, all hell broke loose. And there was basically police all over the county on the lookout for Detective Ray Tate's vehicle. But sadly, by then, it was too late. Uh, Thomas Simmons had pulled over... um, in, into a, a desolate area once again um, and first pulled out Detective Ray Tate and Holly Gentry out of the car. Uh, Detective Ray Tate was wearing his own handcuffs. Uh, they were placed face down in the dirt and uh, Thomas Simmons shot them in the back of the head as they laid face down. He then sexually assaulted Joanna and shot her as well. The night police who were out uh, looking around, as we mentioned, there was just police scattered all over the county looking for uh, looking for these these people who had been kidnapped. And they would quickly find both cars that were involved in this. They would find Holly Gentry's car, the LTD, um, and Detective Tate's car that night. Holly Holly's car was found in a parking lot of the Central Mall in the east side. And Detective Tate's car, which had apparently been used to dump the bodies, was found covered in dirt at a truck stop near an intersecting highways uh, near the intersection of Interse- Interstate 40 and uh, Arkansas, State fi- Arkansas uh, 59. So... 
Wow. Once again, clever move by by Thomas yes. Simmons to dump the car right next to two highways where you, you know you, it's clear he's he's gone off roading in this car that there's people that he had abducted and it's not looking good. Uh, but good luck finding where he dumped them when right. there's which two direction? highways next to where yeah, he dumps the car. Yeah, which direction do you go? Yeah. He could have went anywhere from here. Yep. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so, so when police when police scrambled to have the car search for evidence, Simmons had his sister, whom he lived with, come and pick him up from a gas station near the truck stop. Let's go into Thomas Simmons' background a little bit here. He was born on June 2nd, 1943, and shares a birthday with three of the most random uh, and interesting people that we've ever had on a ber- share a birthday with a criminal. Beetlejuice, uh, fame, uh, Beetlejuice. of uh, Howard Stern fame, Beetlejuice. Oh, okay. Uh, Wayne Brady. And Justin Long, who I, I think is one of my favorite people in Hollywood. Justin Long is awesome. <laughs> he is. He is hilarious. Yeah. He's, isn't he the older brother in F is for Family? He's a... Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, I can't remember his freaking Yeah, he does right the voice now. for... I can't remember his, the character's name, but yeah. Kevin. Kevin. Kevin Murphy. Kevin, yeah. Yeah, yeah he's great. Yeah. <clears throat> June 2nd, man. It's also my anniversary. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, I'm so glad I share it with these wonderful people. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I mean, everybody except for Thomas Simmons, of course. Yeah. 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 Wayne Brady, also awesome. Yeah, Wayne Brady. Uh, I used to love whose line is it anyway? Dude, underrated show. The absolute king of improv, and right? he's talented. He's great voice. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Great host of of uh, legend uh, trivia shows and things like that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He can host it. What was that? Uh, Let's make a deal. Remember that stupid show that was on like middays. Yeah, yeah, that show would draw me in, man. When I used to, when I used to be doing like was that, uh, wasn't that Howie, Howie, or whatever that would host that one. Oh, well, I don't know. Wayne was that Brady the one where you picked too, the though. suitcases. Yeah, Wayne Brady did it too. Oh, he must have been like the latter host. Yeah, right after after Howie, he may left. still be doing it. Honestly, I, I think as of last year, I was watching episodes uh, with Wayne Brady on it. <laughs> yeah, I remember I had a I had a uh, in my senior year in high school, I had a government teacher who would always play games on his computer, and one of them was Let's Make a Deal. And I remember freaking him the hell out because somehow, twice in a row, he had me pick, uh, he had me pick uh, the, a suitcase from the jump. You know, there's like 50 suitcases. Right. And he said, pick, pick which suitcase. And on the first try, I picked the million-dollar suitcase. And, he's, and it even kind of weirded me out. And then he asked me to do it again. He's like, well, you did it once. Do it again. I, I, I did it twice in a row. I picked the million-dollar suitcase. And then oh, after that, shit. he's like, do it again. I'm like, I'm not doing it again. I just wanted to keep him nope. freaked out like I, like I was from the future or something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not doing it Still again. Still to this day, he's probably like, what the hell is with that kid? You're abusing my power. I'm not doing <laughs> it, it again. It's one of those weird things that happened, dude. Also, I just realized we're talking about two different shows. Uh, you're, I know which one you're talking about with all the different suitcases. That was Howie Mandel. But there's is that a, not what's that one called? I, I don't know. They're both about deals. Now, now oh. I'm just curious. Deal I'm, or look, no deal. That's what it's called. Deal or no deal. Deal or no deal. That's right. Okay. So what the hell's Let's Make a Deal? What do they do in that one? Let's Make a Deal is where like Wayne Brady just like picks random people from the audience. They come down. They're always dressed in like weird shit. Like the whole. I guess it's just like an underlying thing of the show. If you're gonna attend the show in person, you got to wear like some weird costume. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So they always pull somebody down from the audience, and like he, it may just be a short game. He, you never know what he's going to do. So he may just like pull out an envelope and be like, "You can have this envelope." He's like, "Or you can have whatever's behind that door." Oh, okay. You know, like what do you want? Right. And there you go, and you can turn it down, and then maybe maybe the envelope. There's another deal inside of the envelope if you choose the envelope, and you just end up mindless going down these games. mindless television, right? Yep. 
Just yep. melting our brains away. Yes, it is. But Wayne Brady did a great job hosting it, I'm sure. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> and shares a birthday <laughs> with Thomas Simmons, coincidentally. Right. So uh, Thomas Simmons, as we mentioned, born in 1943 and is one of 10 children. He had five brothers and four sisters. Wow. Yeah. And uh, he may have been planning to use the money from the stolen LTD to pay for his tuition to West Star Community College, of which he had enrolled in recently. So he's trying to get his life together, Michael, uh, okay. before uh, I'm not murdering these four people. Right. You got to do what you got to do to get your education, you know. Right. Um, <laughs> Maybe apparently, apparently he doesn't know about loans. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Dumbass. Why, why do that? You got to pay those back, man. <laughs> well, I mean, just go in there looking scraggly ass and lie on your income or whatever and get you a Pell Grant. Bro, there's easier right. ways to to do this. I mean, if you're if you're willing to kill somebody, there's lots of easier ways. <laughs> For real. So at age 17, Thomas Simmons had stolen a car in Hot Springs, Arkansas. He then joined the Air Force, but was kicked out. Much like many of the ca- the, the, the perpetrators in the cases we covered, they they yes. have short stints in the military before being kicked out. Yep. Yep. They it's don't like those, authority. Those, yeah, it's one of those boxes you check. You're like, oh, were you a serial killer? Oh, you were probably in the army or the air force for like, you know, right. a third of your contract before they just it, when the military doesn't want you anymore. You know, you fucked up. <laughs> That's right. some shit. Especially during the time periods, a lot of these guys were in. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, he had committed crimes in Amarillo, Texas, and Oklahoma City, and spent most of his adult life in jail, uh, in and out of jail, filling the gaps, working odd jobs, but usually quitting after two or three weeks. He was a regular smoker and drinker. Um, there was uh, speculation that he may have been a part of something called the Dixie Mafia, but there was not really. There was it was more just um, rumor than anything else. There was nothing connecting him to them. Dixie Mafia. Yeah, look that up and give us some more info while I go I'm through this. At it. it says uh, the Dixie Mafia is a criminal organization composed mainly of white Southerners and based in Biloxi, Mississippi. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Biloxi. Biloxi. Um, operating primarily throughout the southern United States since at least the 1970s. The group used each member's talents in various crime categories to help move stolen merchandise, illegal alcohol, and illegal drugs. It is also particularly well known for violence. The organization's name is merely a play on Dixie and the original mafia's name. The Dixie Mafia is not related to the original mafia or mafia or Italian-American mafia. Yeah, no shit. Sounds like he easily could have been a part of this. He was in the, in the same area, the same time period, and he was a career criminal. So yeah, I can I mean, see why he was connected to it. He's right there in Arkansas. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Hmm. And he he'd, he'd done crimes, uh, as we mentioned, in Oklahoma and in uh, Texas. So he was apparently moving around about the South committing crimes. Right. Um, then there was the 17-year-old boy of which Thomas Simmons had kidnapped and stabbed slash slit the throat of before leaving him for dead. Yeah, there's which that. Which was the reason for his latest prison sentence, which he had just gotten paroled for prior to the quadruple murder that he does, which is why we're covering this. For that oh crime, God, that was he had, right before that? Right before. So, yeah. Well, oh, eight years gosh. prior. He had served eight years for it. Well, he so he he stabs and slits the throat of this 17-year-old boy, leaves him for dead, and for that crime, he'd been sentenced to 45 years, but was paroled, amazingly, after serving only eight years. That's insane. What a fucking mistake that was, right? What did he say to the Pro Bowl? He Pro Board. He was not the most charming uh, criminal we've ever covered. He must have had a damn good attorney or some shit. I don't know. Maybe I they mean, just wanted to clear some space in prison. I don't. I don't get it. Right. I guess because he didn't die, the boy didn't die. Yeah. Amazingly, he like staggered uh, to someone's home and uh, like was on death's door. Um, but I mean, he this kid he had left for dead. But he had, for all intensive purposes, tried to kill this. Kid. Yes. Yes. 
Yes. He brutally essentially murdered a kid. Uh, but just, you know, just the fact that the kid survived was a pure miracle, really. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah, years. eight years for that. Um, and not long, not long after his release, he assaulted an FBI agent and stole his gun. For that, he served a, a year at Leavenworth. Another slap so almost on the kills wrist. a kid, spends a year in Leavenworth for assaulting an FBI agent, stealing his gun. That just made um, him madder and more angry yeah. and more violent. Now he's yeah. back. Uh, he'd been just paroled from prison pr uh, the, in the prior October and was living with his sister Leona and her five daughters in Kibler, Arkansas. Uh, one of the five daughters, though, being, one, being his actual biological daughter of which she had adopted. So oh. he was living with his daughter as well. Oh, okay. But he didn't and have custody of her. No. Technically. Gotcha. No. So at the time of his latest crime, he was working as a laborer, shoveling gravel all day for Arcola Sand and Gravel, and was known as a tough son of a bitch by his employers. They it was a job that no one else wanted to do. And yeah. so they turned to like an ex con to do this job of just shoveling gravel all day. Right. Um they mentioned how he'd amazed everyone when once a boulder fell on his back while on the job. And he basically sprung right back up to his feet and started working like nothing had happened. They were like, dude, this would have killed a normal person. And he just jumped right back up and started shoveling again. Man, how big was this guy? <laughs> I don't think you know? he was necessarily a big guy. He was just tough as nails. Just tough? Well, I mean, you can only be as tough as your skeleton is. I mean, I don't know how big know, this boulder right? is. Maybe it hit uh, him just right, just, to, just, just in the right spot to where it really didn't do any damage, but it made him look like a badass. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, nice even weight distribution when it hit him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, hit him on the flat side, no point. Right, right, right. <laughs> Just rolled off. Yeah. So after committing these these horrible murders, um, he re actually uh, amazingly returned to work the next morning. He had called in to work that day of the crimes, which obviously doesn't look good on him later. Um, however, he does return to work the next morning. He had told his employers the day prior that he had been into a, in a car accident. And when he returned to work the next morning, they didn't ask any questions. He just got back to work, shoveling rock. But uh, he did request to leave early on the, on that day. He left at 9 a.m. Um, to make a trip to the Citizens Bank where he asked for the, for the return of a check that he had deposited the day before. He must have been a little bit freaked out about that money. That he, it, it didn't seem worth it at this point to him, I'm sure, the right. $50 he had gotten from that check when you know that connects him to the quadruple homicide that he had done. Right. Well, he, he, also sure he, put... he found it hard to sleep that night thinking about why the fuck did I go take that check? Well, didn't he deposit 300 of that check? Something happened. I think the account that he had tried to, the account that was attached to that checkbook, I think, as we mentioned earlier, the account was closed. Like the, the Okay, so the rest of the check bounced. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Gotcha. Yeah, and then so they gave him like 50 bucks. Gotcha. Um, okay. the, two, the two bank employees connected the name on the check. They had seen on the news the night before. This is small town in Arkansas, and the news of... You know, a detective, a local detective being kidnapped and a couple as well being kidnapped was big news. It was headline news. And they saw the name Larry Price on the check um, and immediately was like, well, was that that fellow that was kidnapped yesterday? Um, uh, they mentioned to the, to the fact, uh, that fact to Simmons, but they said that uh, uh, they did not have the check at the branch. And when Simmons drove away, his license number was written down by one of the bank employees who, coincidentally, her husband was a police officer. So she goes back and immediately calls the police officer, uh, her husband, and and gives him the license plate number and says, hey, there was just a fellow in here with a check with the name of one of the people that were kidnapped on it. Right on. Um, Fast trying to thinking. get the check back. Yeah. Man, that was lucky. That yep. was lucky. Because I think the average teller may have not wanted to even get involved in that. 
Right. Right. Just happened to be a cop's wife. And she was like, yeah, I'm going to get this bastard. (laughs) So she immediately calls her husband, gives him the license plate number and a quick investigation, traced the number to Thomas Simmons, a career criminal. Um, They finally had a solid lead. Um, and who, in his latest conviction, they saw, you know, he had kidnapped a man, stabbed him multiple times and left him for dead. Uh, mm-hmm. that, that right there, it's a very similar crime to what they may be facing here where multiple people were kidnapped. Right. Um, doesn't look good. So de- detectives look into this Thomas Simmons and what he's doing currently. They go and visit his sister of which, where he was living. She tells them, the detectives that he, he's at work at Arcola Sand and Gravel. Um, they show up to his work and escort him out. Uh, they take him to the police headquarters where Simmons had an answer for all of their questions. Uh, however, not all of the answers he had made much sense. <laughs> when they asked how he had ended up with a check from Larry Price, who was currently you know, missing, he said mm-hmm. that he had met Larry at the mall and made a deal to sell him drugs. Larry had given him the check as up- upfront payment. That's usually how drug deals go down, right? Yeah, definitely. I give, give dealers the I don't just know at the mall $350 up front. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially in 1981. Like, right. God damn, what is that like? Two, three weeks pay, nineteen eight. Come on, man. People That's love insane. to use checks when they buy drugs from sketchy people at the mall. Yes, you know? yeah. You want them to have your address. That's the, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. the key. <laughs> Especially before you even get the drugs. Yes, this oh, always man, works out. Well, I'll take your you word got, for it. You seem like a trustworthy guy. You can deliver yeah. the, the drugs to me tomorrow. You already got my address. It's on the check. That's right. So. That's right. It's right there on the check. All right. Nice yeah. doing business with you, sir. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Thomas Simmons would agree to a search of his yellow te- Toyota Celica. In the trunk, they would find quite a, a murder kit here. They found a hacksaw, a knife, dirty rubber boots, zip ties, and work gloves. You don't look like no drug dealer to me. <laughs> right. Confident uh-huh. they had their man, but still lacking a confession or sufficient cir- circumstantial evidence to uh, con- you know, arrest him for, for murder, police arrested Simmons for parole violation while they strengthened their case. So he had definitely violated his parole. Um, so yeah, they, they at least were able to keep him behind bars while they gathered more evidence. Right. Later that night, this was Tuesday, January 6th, the day after he had committed the murders, the day after he had kidnapped the four of them. Mm-hmm. Um, the bodies of Ray Tate, Joanna Price, and Holly Gentry were found. And how they were found is just horrific. Um, there's still a newspaper clipping you could find with a picture of a detective standing next to an old tractor tire uh, in a river bottom field in, Kibler com- in the Kibler community. It was on the farm of a man named Clyde McClure. He had like an area of his farm where that was like way in the back that he didn't go back there very often. There was a bunch of junk, including yeah. a tractor tire that was on its side, oh. laying in the sand. And this, this is, is where Thomas Simmons had stuffed their bodies into this old tractor tile tire and dumped old steel barrels on top of it to kind of disguise it. Um, wow. But that's not going to disguise the smell. Yeah. So Clyde, Clyde had gone back into that, that area and he had seen some blood. And that's what mm-hmm. kind of tr- he traced the blood to the tractor tire where he saw an ankle sticking out and called the police and, and let them know, hey, I think I found the people you're looking for. Wow. Um, all three, there was also a 38 special revolver found underneath the bodies. So the murder weapon was left there, which seems stupid to me. Wait, the whole weapon was found? I thought it was just a casing. Maybe, maybe. I thought the, I thought the weapon. Oh my God, he left the whole weapon? That he might have. Yeah. Might have because uh, I'm sure better his gun, than having his gun was the, the weapon anyway. in your possession. But you'd think you would ditch yeah. it away from the bodies, not put them all together. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Not like, oh, here's what put these here. 
Yeah. Yeah. But I'm sure it was a freaking, that in a river. It, the gun was not, you know, attached to him in any way. I'm sure it was a stolen gun or something. So. Right. Right. Not in 1981. It's not attached to him in any way, but yeah. nowadays he'd be fucked. Right. <laughs> so, uh, they pulled the, the bodies out of the, the tire and all, they discovered that all three had been shot execution style in the back of the head. The body of Larry Price, who was also, uh, had been shot and killed was discovered a short distance away near the same farm. Um, so James Davis, a neighbor across the street, saw a man, evidently Officer Tate. Uh, as we mentioned, this just James Davis neighbor that had seen the three uh, victims get taken out one by one and put into the car. He right. would testify in court, and he would come forward as a, as a witness for the police and ultimately testify in court. And this would be one of the the nails in the coffin of Thomas Simmons. They had so many witnesses at that apartment complex where he was, where this scraggly man was seen looking at this car, test driving it. Um, and ultimately the car would be used in the murders. Um, the car was the main it, purpose behind the murders. Um, right. It really is a brazen crime when you think about it. The, the amount yeah. of times that he came and went from this apartment. Yes, yes. And the people that he took from it, the different vehicles that he drove, it's like, no wonder there were so many witnesses. What did you expect? Yep. I mean, it's not even a private residence. Yep. So scientific testimony and other evidence provided much additional proof of Simmons' guilt. As to robbery, missing from the three bodies were the three men's wallets and Joanna's purse. As to rape, Joanna's body had slight bruises in the genital area and her pantyhose were on the wrong, were uh, inside out. A belt was not all the way through its loops and semen in her vagina matched Simmons' blood type, but not that of Larry Price. That's pretty damning evidence for there 1981. They obviously didn't yeah. have DNA, uh, the ability to match DNA yet. Right, um, but they could they could match the the blood secretion in the in the yeah. semen. A pistol lying near the three bodies was positively identified identified as the murder weapon. So it was the thirty eight special, the weapon itself. Wow, that was found underneath the bodies in the tire. Its serial its serial number had been filed down, but the number could be determined. Um, the pistol had been bought by a neighbor of Simmons, uh, who had lost it in the woods some two years earlier and reported the loss to the police. That's the connection to him. The neighbor of Simmons lost the gun. So, I mean, that's he was in the same vicinity of where that gun would have been lost. And see, he probably just assumed he lost that gun. How much you want to bet Simmons broke Simmons in stole and it, stole right? that damn gun Simmons from him? Stole it. And he was like, oh, that must have just fell out of my pocket or out of my holster yeah. while I was in the woods or whatever. Mm-hmm. Police would also get a key witness, a cab driver who had picked up a man matching Simmons' description at the mall where Holly's car had been found the day of the murders. He had dropped the man off at the at a gas station where presumably, presumably Simmons had called his sister for a ride. Okay, this is all so like things are just they're, they're stacking up a pile right. of evidence against him. Everything's falling in line. Yep. So Simmons would get charged with the murders, um, and his trial would begin in August of 1981, eight months after the murders. From the proof, the jury could uh, could have found beyond a reasonable doubt that a hair from Simmons' body was discovered in Officer Tate's shirt and another, hair, and another hair from Simmons' body was found in Larry Price's sock. A large amount of circumstantial and ample eyewitness uh, uh, evidence helped to seal the deal. Thomas, was, uh, Tim, Thomas Simmons was convicted of four counts of capital murder and sentenced to death for the slayings. Quote, I came into this courtroom on August 8th and said I was innocent and I am still innocent, was his wow. comment when they asked him after his conviction if he wanted to say anything. He's like, why not? This dude's so fucking cold blooded. You know what I'm right. saying? Like that doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah, he has no remorse for this. 
in unanimously affirming his conviction, the Supreme Court of Arkansas stated, quote, We know of no other case involving multiple murders so cold-blooded, so brutal, so lacking of any trace of humanity as those committed by Simmons. I would argue the ones... Uh, committed by another Simmons in your state uh, yeah. just a few years later. You ever heard but of that? This was of prior Jean? to <laughs> this was prior to Ronald Jean. Ronald Jean was in the okay. later eighty later in the eighties. So they wouldn't so, have to wait long to find one more cold blooded and brutal and lacking of any trace of humanity. At least that's right. That's right. They know of others now. Yep. And over the next ten years, Thomas's appeals would all be denied one after another. However, he would get the final say on how his life would end. On New Year's Eve, 1991, 10 years after he had been sentenced to death by the state of Arkansas, Thomas Simmons wrapped himself in a blanket in a cell and slit his throat with a knife that he had fashioned out of a piece of metal, going out on his Ooh. terms. Yeah, I, I guess. I saved the state a few dollars damn. at least. That's a, that's a rough way to go out. Maybe somebody yep. killed him. Good riddance. Either you way. Know? Either way, who cares? Yep. He's a cold-blooded piece of shit, for real. Yep. But that's the case of Daddy Tom Simmons. Um, definitely, wow. there's a lot more than what we presented in the book, and it really takes you to that place in time, and it was really well-written, and it's available on Audible, Cold-Blooded by Anita Paddock. I highly recommend it. Right on, right on. We haven't re- got to recommend a good book in a while, have we? That's right, and it may, <laughs> it may induce some perspiration. It gets intense at times, and you may Uh-oh. need some Oh My Gaia, which we also highly recommend. Oh, we got your back there, too. Oh My Gaia. Oh My Gaia is an innovative, all-natural deodorant, fragrance, and beard oil company specializing in paraben and aluminum-free products. Their innovative line of deodorants inhibit the growth of odor-causing bacteria while maintaining effectiveness. At Oh My Gaia, they use only all-natural, paraben, and aluminum-free organic ingredients. Guys, there's tons of scents to choose from, from vanilla, cherry almond, sandalwood, lavender, lemongrass, Egyptian musk, coconut, dreamsicle, leather, lumberjack, honeysuckle, fireside, bergamot, amber... Uh, Sailor, Pear, Sweet Pea, Barbershop, and of course, you can't forget True Crime Pine. I mean, we're a little biased, but what can we say? True Crime Pine, made especially for your true crime guys. And you guys can use the word Creeper for 15% off your order. C-R-E-E-P-E-R. That's 15% off your order at shop underscore ohmygaia on Instagram or ohmygaia.com. O-H-M-Y-G-A-I-A.com. Won't regret it, guys. Right on. Thank you. Uh, let's give a shout out to. We only got one this week, man. You guys got to get on it. We need some oh, more ra- uh, ratings and reviews right. so we can give you all shout outs. But I want to say thank you to JMB Blast from the US. Said, great job. I uh, enjoy the stories you tell and the way you tell them. I'm happy you read your reviews, but do not change yourselves trying to please complainers. All we can do is our best, be our best self. Let the complainers find their own way to be their own way to a better day. I Preach it to think the that's choir, brother. Beautifully said. Beautifully yeah. said. And since we only have one review, let's go give a shout-out to people who have commented on Podbean and whatnot recently. Okay. Give me a second to do that. Let's see. Let's pull that up. Uh, I want to say thank you to Han Benan, uh, who commented on Podbean and said, My kids think everything came from Fortnite. Drives me crazy. <laughs> so true. Uh, we got Drama Llama Deva said, Oh, my God, the intro this week. Loved uh, the intro on what episode was this? Let's see. That would be on Pazuzu. Uh, Drama Llama Deva loved the Pazuzu intro. Thank you. Right on. Thank you so much. Uh, Andrew Wickling said, awesome show. Need longer and more rambling intros, please. Uh, (laughs) They're on Just the Banter, man. They're out there. Uh, We got AP Queen said, love the creativity of the introduction and the music. Keep up the amazing work. 
Um, let's give Wait, one more minute. here. Uh, GS here it, here he Scott said, "I am glad I found you guys. Added to you my added you to my list of favorites." Thank you. Wherever you're commenting, wherever you're leaving reviews of the show and sharing the show, whether it's Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, thank you guys. We are on all of those platforms. If you haven't gone and followed us yet, at True Crime Guys, all over the place. Yep. Um, And on True Crime Guys, uh, Instagram and Twitter, there is a link in the bio to the link tree. And right there, guys, you can find everything True Crime Guys Productions. Everything that we have to offer from YouTube to our Spotify album, to our Patreon pages for our multiple shows, patreon.com slash truecrimeguys, um, which we alluded to earlier in the show where we do Just the Banter. Every Friday we do another show called Just the Banter. Um, and if you're on the $5 tier or up, you get access to that. You can write in questions the day before on a post, and we always get to everybody's questions. The episodes are growing now to, what, somewhere around an hour on average, right? Yep. We started yep. out, they were 25, 30 minutes, and now they've grown uh, on an average somewhere between 45 minutes to an hour. But, uh, hey, we're going to answer everybody's questions. So that's what we do on Patreon. Patreon.com slash True Crime Guys. So much content on there, so available much. for $2. And if you want to go to $5 and get the prestigious Gold Band, Gold Creep Band sticker and yep. uh, just the banter, you can't really beat it, bang for your buck. And you can pay up front and just be done with it. 21 bucks for the $2 tier for a whole year. Yep. Or I think it's $54 is the whole year for $5 tier, and you get just a banter, you get all of our premium episodes, you get a gold pre brand sticker. There's um, probably somewhere between 70 to 80 premium episodes on there right now. If you guys not have including never been. just a banter, not including just the banter, Which not there's including 42 of, yes, not including 35 episodes of higher thoughts, not including Shoot, yeah. outtakes. And you will never, bloopers. you'll never be uh, bored again. It, no. It, it, <laughs> I think we'll we'll keep giving you content before you can fill it up for a while on yeah. Patreon. Speaking um, of which, our, 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 our episode next week, <laughs> our episode next week is a Patreon exclusive. By the way, it so is never a better better time to become a patron than this week. That's right, that's right. So, if you're still on the freeloader train, we love you, but we won't see you next week. It'll be two weeks. So, all right. Anything else? We good? I think that's it. All right, let's wrap this thing up. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next week. Keep creeping. In the desert, we like a mirage. It's okay if you clicked on us because you thought we was true crime garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk at you. I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder, get murder, get murder. True crime guys. In the desert, we like a mirage. It's okay if you clicked on us because you thought we was true crime garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk at you. I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder charming. Yeah.